0: Unveiling the secrets A list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today?
1: Nathan, I'm good. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing fantastic, and I'm looking at the show notes. Number one, it's a return to my favorite series that we've done on the show. And number two, the particular topic for today's episode is very, very timely. So I'm very excited about this week's episode.
1: Well, I'm really interested in, in hearing your thoughts on it, too, because it's It's actually about more than the topic, which is making money in a recession. Um, We're we're also going to talk about some attitudes and actions that work well all the time and work even better during a recession. So let's jump into it. We're back at it with our old master's series. We're going to talk about how to make a fortune during a recession. Now, a lot of people think that a recession, like right now, is the worst time to try and make a lot of money. But it all depends on your perspective, I promise you. People who are good at spotting opportunities learn how to adjust their own way of looking at things depending on the environment. Get it? They don't see everything black and white the same way through the same frame all the time. And when the storm clouds of recession and depression, and I'm talking about financial depression, show up, they use it to their advantage. Not to take advantage of helpless people, but to recognize the opportunities in the changed circumstances. Bill Benton was such a man. He was 30 years old when the Great Depression hit in 1929, thus old Master Series, but he didn't let that get in the way of his goal of becoming a millionaire by age 35. Along the way, he saved companies with his unique ad strategies. He even bought one for Peanuts that was later earning him $2 million a year. And he never put any money into that company along the way either. He just grew it from revenues. One thing everyone should know, no matter what the economic climate, is this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Okay, so on with the show. Times are tough, and you have to make a choice. Do you want to go along with the doom and gloom thinking of the naysayers? or see this as a legitimate opportunity. Now, to be sure, things aren't easy. And right now, a lot of people are in such bad shape that they can't even see their way to taking advantage of opportunities or creating new ones. And if that's you, I sincerely understand. But if you see a glimmer of possibility for building business during hard times, Today, we're going to look at someone who did it and see what lessons we can draw from his amazing story, what lessons we can use today. That person is Bill Benton. Bill Benton. He founded his own, he co founded his own ad agency just before the crash of 1929 and emerged very wealthy and powerful right in the middle of the Great Depression. So, I'm going to talk about a couple of books today. One I only have on Kindle but it's easy to find because the name is so easy to remember. The book is called Hard Times by Studs Turkle. And it's a series of interviews with people, people who did poorly and people who did well during the Great Depression. It's a great book and way too long. Uh, You can get it on Amazon.com. The other book is also way too long. It's called The Many Lives of of William Benton, Bill Benton. By Sidney Hyman, and it's out of print. You can find it on Amazon, at least of today. I don't know if you can find it tomorrow. All right. So in an interview in Studs Terkel's great book, Hard Times, Benton refers to what his friend, the economist Beardsley Rummel said, in all catastrophes, there is the potential of benefit. We'll look at how you can do that today. I've boiled down what I learned reading both the chapter in Studs Terkel's book and parts of that huge book. I did not read the whole thing. I would not read the whole thing. Dr. Seuss would not read the whole thing. But there's some good stuff in there. Here are the five principles. One, ignore the doom and gloom. Two, feet on the ground, eyes on the future. Three, use the power of great content to multiply the results from advertising. Four, make direct response advertising your foundation, not your skyscape, okay? And number five, imagination really is more powerful than knowledge. But first, you got to have the knowledge, okay? So we got a lot to cover, so let's jump in. Principle number one, ignore the doom and gloom. Bill Benton knew from a very young age, he wanted to be rich. He always wanted to be rich, according to that authorized biography, The Lives of William Benton. And we'll put a link to that in the other book in the show notes. After high school, Benton was lucky enough to get into Yale. After he graduated, he said, at that time in history, you could show up at Harvard Law School on the first day of classes, flash your degree from Yale at them, and they'd let you in. No LSAT, no admission tests, no interviews, just Yale man, sure. That was the entire admission process in 1920, according to Benton. And his mom wanted him to be a lawyer. But because his goal was to be rich, he did the numbers, he did the math, and he figured at the time he could make more money by not being a lawyer. This was a guy who had set his mind on being rich, and advertising looked like the ticket to him. He set the goal he would become a millionaire, By the time he was 35, that was about 15 years into the future from when he graduated from college. And back in the 1930s, being a millionaire, is a much bigger deal than it is today. It's still a lot of money today, but 1935, when he met his goal one year late, age 36, the $1 million he had was worth what $19 million is worth today. He says in the Studs Terkel book, we didn't know the depression was going on, except our clients' products were plummeting, and they were willing to talk to us about new ideas. Think about that. We didn't know the depression was going on, except our clients' products were plummeting, meaning the sales were plummeting, and they were willing to talk to us about new ideas. My income doubled every year. Now, personally, I think it's a little extreme not to even know what's going on when there's recession out there, or maybe times have changed and it's less appropriate today not to know what's going on than it was 90 years ago. But in any case, he didn't let the problems of the day get in the way. So here's a question for you to get started on this principle. What are the opportunities right now in front of you to meet people's needs and make a profit? And before I get on to principle number two, Nathan, that's stirring thoughts up in your mind.
0: A little bit. I I know that it's hard, especially now with social media and mainstream media, it's hard to not get caught up in the doom and gloom. But I was recently, with one of my other clients, I was recently talking to a gentleman about buying businesses during a recession and he was, he was talking about some of the businesses that he holds on to or actively collects when he thinks that there's a recession. One of them was locksmiths. He says that locksmiths, um, the demand for locksmiths just it dramatically increases repair services as well. So even when there's a bunch of uh, businesses going under, there are still businesses that are going to thrive. and. So in the, in the example of the, the other one he mentioned was debt collectors, and I, I'm not a big fan of debt collectors, so I didn't want to um, cheer that one on. But when he, when he mentioned repair services and um, locksmith services, it's just two examples of businesses that do well normally, but when everybody else is doing horribly, those two businesses tend to do even better. So no matter what's going on, there are always opportunities. So that's just kind of what that brings to mind.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, There's a psychological tendency called catastrophizing. It's sort of like if you have a dozen eggs and you break one of the eggs, you're afraid that you've broken the whole dozen. Um, Silly example, but people do think that way um, when, when the situation is not quite as visible as it is with the eggs. So yeah, great, great point. Um, there are some businesses that are going to be doing well. Find them. Okay. Principle number two, feet on the ground, eyes on the future. Benton started out his advertising career at Lord and Thomas, the famous agency where 20 years before the great founding fathers of direct response, advertising, copywriting, Claude Hopkins and Johnny Kennedy had started. Now he started, Benton did in the New York office and he did not start as a cop. And you know, Lord and, thomas was based in chicago benton did not start as a copywriter but as an ad salesman because he knew that what he would that that was what he needed um, eventually ended up he needed to know how to sell ads in order to really get rich and and so he became a copywriter later and we'll talk about that in a second benton also knew that he looked young and he would not be taken as seriously as he would like to be when he went out trying to sell advertising Lord and Thomas services to companies. So what he did is he took old issues of the Saturday Evening Post, the magazine, and took you know, the New York Times newspaper, and he would tear out ads that he didn't think were very good. And then he'd go into the business and he said, these ads aren't so good. Would you like to give Lord and Thomas a try? We could do better that didn't work out so well because while the people he was talking to didn't write the ads, they approved them. So they were insulted by, by what he said. And he finally figured it out. This guy just didn't give up, but eventually he knew he'd have to learn to write copy or else he would never truly understand advertising and Lord and Thomas wouldn't give him that job. So he found another agency that would, And this is still the early 1920s. He ended up writing copy for eight hours a day. Hard work. Mid-1920s. Hard work. About five years later, 1929, he launched his own agency. Imagine starting a business right in the eve of a Great Depression. Well, you might not have to imagine. That might be you listening to this now uh, if you just started a business a year ago. But I would say... If you know where you're going, you might not know exactly what the path is to get there, but you'll find it or it'll find you. Just stay alert and be flexible when you need to and be patient. Um, Because this guy started the agency, and and we'll talk in in the other principles we're going to cover about the truly breakthrough things that he did. But here's a question to roll around in your mind a little bit for this principle what do I want so much that I'm willing to put in the time, not I'm willing to die for it, or I'm willing to give up everything I have. What do you want so much that you're willing to put in the time and the work to get it?
0: I think that's a great question.
1: All right, let's move on to principle number three, the power of content to amplify marketing. So one of the most important things about Bill Benton was his ability to spot opportunities and the way he used his creativity to grab them. And a great example of that is a product that may sound exceptionally dull and ordinary to you today, but might not be around anymore if it weren't for Benton. And that's Pepsodent toothpaste. From the Studs Turkle book, and this is Benton speaking, sales of Pepsodent were off 50%. Dentists talked about Pepsodent teeth. It was too abrasive, took enamel off teeth, They said, none of the old-time advertising seemed to work. Sales of Pepsodent were off 50%. Dennis talked about Pepsodent teeth. It was too abrasive. It took enamel off teeth. They said, none of the old-time advertising seemed to work. On a hot summer evening in New York City, Benton was walking home from work when he kept hearing the same comedy radio show blasting out through all the open apartment windows. And it was a show called Amos and Andy. Okay, so everything he noticed on his walk home, and this is me, not the book, everything he noticed on the walk home sparked an idea, a huge idea. He arranged to buy all Amos and Andy's radio advertising for Pepsodent, all of it. So you weren't listening to Amos and Andy anymore, which is very, very popular. You were listening to the Pepsodent Comedy Hour with Amos and Andy, or something like that. And back to the book, Benton reports, Pepsodent went in the air, and within a series of weeks, it was the greatest sensation in the history of American show business. Pepsodent sales skyrocketed. The crash never hurt Pepsodent. Sales doubled and quadrupled. Now, that's a really good lesson, but most of us are not marketing toothpaste, and radio comedy shows like that are really a thing of the past. I, Heard recently, though, that content is the commodity in single highest demand in the world right now. Whether that's actually true or not, it certainly has a ring of truth to it. People crave good content more than ever before, as far as I can remember. And this is especially true since so many of the bars and restaurants are closed. So here's a question to ask yourself What content can I use? to get customers more interested in what I'm selling.
0: So I'm going to jump in real quick and add my two cents to that. Yeah. Um, We're with one of my other clients, we're just about to launch a sales funnel and the, the initial, the indoctrinating piece uh, it's the first thing that we're going to be sending people to. And it is very much written like a piece of content. It's not written like a sales page. There is an offer, but the whole thing up until the offer reads like a piece of content. And I was just talking with him before this call and he said that people are already sharing the page. We're not, we haven't even put any, We're about two days away from launching the paid advertising section of the funnel. So we haven't even put any money into advertising yet. And people that have been sent to the page organically Are sharing the page or snipping out pieces of it and sharing the page. And so. Uh, because it's content and um it's it's just one of those things right now people are so starved for content they've gone through all their netflix they've gone through all the every they've watched every movie on uh hbo max and they're just searching for content and so that was kind of the strategy with this sales funnel was to make it very content rich with a little bit of direct response marketing added in but the content was the main thing. And we're already, we're having people do our advertising for us without even having to ask because the content is so good.
1: That's awesome. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people from the most advanced to the up and coming copywriters reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over a copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said, I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to GarfinkelCoaching.com and click on the services tab. GarfinkelCoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. All right. Back to his principles. Principle number four, make direct response advertising your foundation, not your skyscape. Okay? So like he did with Pepsodent, Benton also gave a big sales boost to Palmolive Soap. He came up with a radio show called The Palmolive Beauty Box. And he says in the Turkle book, I picked up an unknown member of the Metropolitan Opera Chorus, Gladys Swarthout, or Swarthout, and we made her a big star. Now, listen to this. They told me I couldn't use her because she was no soprano and the parts were just too high. I just said, rewrite the parts. Rewrite them lower. Nobody in opera would have thought of this, but we succeeded in radio because we didn't know any better. So these campaigns and their results started to get Benton and his partner, this Benton and Bowles, Mr. Benton, Mr. Bowles, they got a lot of attention. People started to ask, who's doing this? Benton started out a lot of times with some of these great promotions by using normal research techniques, the same kind that we use in direct marketing all the time. But then he catapulted a general advertising agency to stunning heights. And the key here is fundamentals. He learned these fundamentals, the research stuff, the basic stuff of how to get someone's attention and keep it he learned that stuff through focused hard work on basic unglamorous direct response advertising he didn't just make up what he was doing then he built his wild entertaining ideas on a foundation of proven techniques that he had experience with himself and so a question you can ask yourself is what fundamentals do i need to get better at
0: i want to add that point that you said he uh, said it somebody in opera wouldn't have thought of that. And he said, we succeeded because we didn't know any better. And so many times in advertising uh, on different campaigns that I've ran, I'll submit it to my mastermind or I'll have somebody read it. And they'll be like, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. That that's a horrible idea. And, and I'll even doubt it. But then when I run it, I'm like, whoa, it did work. And so sometimes Sometimes that uh, curse of knowledge comes in, where the people who know the most about it will give you the worst advice about it.
1: It's true. It's and it's it's always a battle um, between beginner's mind and you know uh, doing something because it feels good or seems right that's uh, completely against the rules of of marketing as we think we know them. Um, but yeah, you you seem to have a touch for that though, huh?
0: Uh, not always. I'm. I've definitely had my my fair share of failures, but it's just uh it, that story about the the story about being like, well, that's the rule for the opera, but we're advertising, so we're gonna go with our gut for what will work for an advertisement, and it worked out for him. That was. It's just one of those things where um sometimes you have to trust your gut and ignore the the experts.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so let's go to principle number five. Imagination is more powerful than knowledge, but first you got to have the knowledge. So this next story is going to be hard for a lot of musicians and musician fans to take. But since it's about how Benton took a business that was on the skids and turned it around and raised it up to generating $2 million a year, it's worth hearing the story. So Do you know what Muzak is? Muzak? the company that pipes all that lovely music into elevators and just about every other public space these days. Well, way back in 1938, Muzak was only played in restaurants and bars. And as a business, it was just barely hanging on. Benton bought it for a song, so to speak. And against the advice of four of its five remaining salespeople, he suggested that Muzak as a service be sold into doctor's offices and barbershops. Four of them said no. The fifth salesman who liked the idea was the only one who kept his job. And in fact he not only kept the job, he was promoted to sales manager over the years. And I think the interview was in the late sixties or seventies with Studs Terkel, when I'm getting this information from, um, he never put any money into it. So this was forty to this is like thirty over thirty years he never Grew it entirely from revenues, and today you can't go anywhere really where you're outside of the clutches of Muzak or one of its lookalike competitors. Uh, he says about Musac, I never could have bought it except in a depression, and then he figured out how to turn a r- rundown enterprise into a thriving two million dollar a year business. So, a a good question you is what do I know enough about that I can springboard to a really wild idea that could be greatly successful?
0: You mentioned Claude Hopkins earlier in the, in the call. And Mm -hmm. one thing that I'm uh, kind of parallel that I'm seeing between William Binton and Claude Hopkins is their creativity A lot of times today, copywriters, it's the same thing. Oh, you do Facebook ads or, oh, you write a VSL. We have like, we've become very restricted in the way that we advertise, but in my life in advertising by Claude hopkins he talks about these crazy stories about Hmm. products that were just not selling and he came up with this crazy grand idea to sell and it revolutionized the way people looked at the product and throughout today's episode you've brought up all these things of oh we're going to use a comedy show to advertise or we're going to use opera to advertise or we're going to take this product that's known for this thing and we're going to introduce it into these four different markets and we're going to revitalize this entire business and, and that's that creativity seems to be missing in today's world of marketing and advertising and maybe it's still out there but it, you don't hear stories like that like you used to and i wanted to get your thoughts on why that creativity doesn't seem to be as prominent nowadays as some of these old masters and maybe we just have current masters that they're doing it and we just the books haven't been written yet? Great
1: question. So I saw a very interesting documentary called Shangri-La on Showtime on Demand. And one of the episodes opens with this guru-looking guy saying that negativity suppresses creativity. And I'm paraphrasing a little. That was what he said. And I think we're living in a very fearful, angry time right now. There are crises going on in the world that we don't quite know how or if we're going to solve them. And so I think people are hunkered down a little bit. We, we also live, because of the polar, polarization, does a number of things. And one of the things I think it does is it forces people to standardize. It's like they take up arms, but they... They start to follow a very specific method. And so, you know, it's the people who can get past the fear to have the courage to take risks that are are really going to cash in. But I I agree with you. I I don't see a whole lot of... I'll tell you, I am seeing it in the electronic musical instrument space. I mean, I'm seeing some stuff coming out right now that is wild. And I think it's, again... Not not to beat up on musicians, but I I think it's basically a a way to help people who are hired by Hollywood producers to produce really high quality soundtracks without hiring musicians. Okay, so sorry guys, I didn't do it. I'm just reporting it. But I haven't seen much of it anywhere else. To tell you the truth, people are, and and you know this is what happens when people get afraid and they get angry they kind of revert to the tried and true i i expect maybe in the next 2 or 3 years there're going to be some wild surges of creativity but not right now well except for the listeners to this podcast who want to make a fortune during this recession
0: <laughs> right, because uh if if you are the ones that are courageous enough to go out and do it, maybe a hundred years from now, somebody will be doing an old masters series about you,
1: yeah, think about that. Would't <laughs> you like that to be part of your legacy?
0: Awesome, David. uh what were the two books that you mentioned, and then we will head out of here,
1: sure so the the one I can show you is called The Many Li- the Lives of William Benton. By the way, I wanted to point out, I've seen several pictures of him. He does not look like a very happy guy. And I, I think that, to me, that reinforces a theory I've heard that going after money alone does not make you happy. I know rich people are very happy, but they usually didn't get there by going after money alone. And uh, that's by Sidney Hyman, H-Y-M-A-N. You can find it on Amazon. And then the other one is, um, there's only, you know, uh, warning, there's only about five pages of this book, five golden pages with uh, Bill Benton in Studs Terkel's book, Hard Times. And there are very few business things. It, It was worth reading just for those five pages and a few of the other things. But a lot of it is, you know, how people were starving and, discriminated against and and helpless and living uh, it uh, <laughs> so uh, I read it for my book club and I'm glad I did but I won't read it a second time
0: it's one of those books where you got to find the meat and chew on that and then spit out the fat
1: spit out the fat
0: awesome. Chewy. <laughs> <laughs> David another fantastic episode listeners out there if you want to catch more you can head on over to copywriterspodcast.com and until next time, we will catch you later.
1: Catch you later. Bye. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia dot com and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, Just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.